0: Well, hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. I'm so glad to have you with me today to talk about the Old Testament. Now, I wonder how many of us, when we hear that announcement of what the episode is going to be about, automatically tune ourselves out or we uh, breathe a sigh of <laughs> of uh, frustration because we don't have a great relationship with the Old Testament. Now, I would hope if you saw the episode title and still clicked, then you're at least willing to hear me out. And obviously, if you're still listening and watching at this point, you have made that decision to hear me out. The episode today is called, Is the Old Testament Expendable? And whether or not you maybe frame that question in that particular way, uh, you will be uh, probably not very surprised of how prevalent this mindset, this question is in our culture at large. And I don't even mean the world. I mean, we can kind of take that for granted. I mean, in the so-called confines of the church, the Old Testament has always uh, bore the brunt of uh people trying to discredit it, or people trying to uh, smooth out the sharp edges, or maybe just find a new way to interpret it so that it doesn't come across as is. And maybe people don't say that the Old Testament is expendable, but the common denominator is that you have people from all shapes and stripes that want to find a way to discredit or move around or totally rid themselves of the Old Testament altogether. Uh, this, one, one of the things that happened uh, regarding this topic, not all that long ago, was a very prevalent pastor in the Atlanta area, uh, Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley, I'm sure that most of you, who grew up in the uh, kind of evangelical movement in the United States, have seen Charles Stanley on TV in some variety. Uh, I mean, he was all over the screen uh, growing up in in my household, between my house and my grandparents' house, because he was one of those regulars that came on one of the Christian uh, broadcasting uh, channels. Uh, well, his son, Andy Stanley, said to his congregation um, that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And regardless of what he meant by that, he ended up trying to back up his uh, backpedal from those words and clarify himself. And this is not one of those Christian pop culture channels where I like to interact with controversy like this, but I, I bring it up because. Uh, Regardless of the way that he tried to clarify his statement or restate it another way, uh, the fact of the matter is this is just one example of many that pastors, members of congregations, just professing Christians in general have at best a confused understanding of the Old Testament and at worst an attitude that walks around saying, why do we even need it? And I hope to dispel some of the roadblocks that we come up with in our minds on today's episode uh, to convince ourselves that we could do without the Old Testament. I want to do some critical thinking on this episode to explore whether or not the Old Testament is expendable, and I'm not going to leave you on a cliffhanger because I would hope that you would know already that my answer is absolutely not we we cannot treat the Old Testament as something that's expendable. Uh, we can't do well without the Old Testament, we need the Old Testament and so I hope to not only show you why but I hope to maybe interact with what it would actually mean if we took ourselves from the Old Testament altogether. Would we even have? Uh, The Christian faith if we did that. So these are in no particular order of importance or alphabetical order or anything like that. I just wanted to interact with a few different ideas on this episode of what that would mean uh, and hopefully encourage you by the end of this to dig into your Old Testament and to treat it just as much a part of the Bible as the New Testament. Well, Having said that, uh, I have to address a very, very unfortunate trend in Christian publications uh, because I said that you should treat the Old Testament just as much a part of your Bible as the New Testament. But ironically, we have examples. If you walked into a Christian bookstore, if you go onto any uh, Christian publishing website, online store to buy a Bible, you will be able to find a New Testament-only Bible, and then some of them try to be a little fair and say, okay, we'll add in the Psalms, or we'll add in Proverbs, but in general, these are Bibles that are marketed as copies of the New Testament. I have a huge problem with that. I don't only dislike that idea, I absolutely hate that idea. And most of the time, this is part of an evangelistic effort by people where uh, these little paperback New Testament copies are put into gift bags for outreaches, or we might include them in a children's Sunday school class for new visitors to take home or you know something like that. And so we're setting this precedent that, The New Testament is what matters, not the Old Testament. We're setting that precedent not to people who are educated in Christian theology and should know better, but we're communicating that to people who are essentially new to the Christian faith altogether. It's like that's the first thing that we show them by our actions of giving them a New Testament-only Bible and say, here is all you need to be concerned with. Now, I would hope that we would at least be able to grant that if we were met with the either-or dilemma of would you rather communicate to somebody truth found in the New Testament or the Old Testament I would hope that we could all agree that the New Testament in general is going to be more explicit. It's going to be more clear about who Christ is and the gospel and all of the aspects that are important for people in terms of their salvation and relationship with the Lord. This is not a debate as to whether somebody can be saved from the Old Testament versus the New. Uh, We hopefully... All agree that the New Testament is going to communicate some of those matters uh, more clearly, more even more concise than what you find in the Old Testament. But to communicate it and make a gesture in the way of saying that this is the only thing you need to be concerned with, well, no wonder when those uh, new visitors, hopefully and eventually new believers, uh, go about their Christian life, no wonder they're confused about the Old Testament or they never uh, treat it with any level of respect or importance at all. Well, it's because they've been taught that from the very beginning, that it doesn't really matter. And I just scratch my head when I think about this uh, because, you know, it does remind me an awful lot of some of the errors of church history. I think of uh, Marcion as one example in church history uh, who was famous or maybe infamous uh, for his rejection of essentially all of the uh, Old Testament, and he only seemed to uh, appropriate uh, letters from the Apostle Paul. And so he dismissed uh, you know even part of the New Testament, but all of the Old Testament. Um, and developed his own kind of Gnosticism flavor, uh, which didn't bode well for anyone. It caused a lot of confusion in the early church. And we're now, you know, whether whether or not we agree or disagree with, with the Old Testament or whatever is a whole other conversation But when we communicate things in a way that the New Testament is where it's at. the Old Testament is exactly what the name indicates, it's old, it's unneeded, it's outdated, Uh, then we're just opening the floodgates of uh, theological confusion. And so that is not a good uh, starting place, but that is where we find ourselves. I I hate that there is such a thing as a New Testament-only Bible. Give people the entire Bible. Why in the world are we uh, shortchanging them? from God's uh, Word, from the books in the biblical canon. Uh, another thing has to do with just the math of it. Uh, this is not a, like a hard and fast um, fraction, but if we wanted to equate uh, the Bible in terms of proportions, two-thirds of the Bible, the overwhelming majority of the Bible, if you want to put it that way, in terms of content, is the Old Testament. And so, if we're you know discrediting the Old Testament, you're discrediting two thirds of the whole of Scripture. You're you're only left with one third of this book, uh, which we call the New Testament, to interact with, and that's not a good place uh, to really start with either. Um, you would think, mathematically speaking, if you're going to cut out something, you would want to cut out the one third, not the two thirds. Um, but again, it's it's a sad thing that we. Approach the Bible in this way. And so, there again, if we say that the Old Testament is expendable, if we communicate that by our actions of discrediting it, not having it in these New Testament copies, uh, we're forced to automatically divorce the two from each other, the new and the old. And when you do that, well, what does new mean? When we say New Testament, if we've discredited it from the testament that came before, uh, it now lives in a vacuum. It now has no contextual title left to it. We could we would only have to um, refer to it as testament. We couldn't call it New Testament because we've already said the old one doesn't count. The old one, we don't need it. And so uh, we're just breeding more and more confusion uh, by the way we, we think about this in a negative sense. And so hopefully uh, some of those considerations just kind of awaken you to uh, how alarming this trend is and how damaging and unhelpful it is uh, to the church, to uh, people we're trying to evangelize. Um, but now let's, let's dig in maybe a little bit more uh, into some more aspects of what this would mean. When you go to the New Testament— And you start to read the Gospels, and you're unpacking the narrative of the birth of Christ, how it came about in Matthew, or his his childhood, in Luke. Um, You're interacting with these ideas, and you're trying to understand the significance of this one who is called Christ, who is Jesus, what is the significance of his birth. Um, or the way that he's launched into his ministry, the way that the Gospel of Mark opens up, uh, or the kind of theological primer that we have in the introduction to the Gospel of John. So the different dynamics of each of those four Gospel accounts, the way that they introduce Jesus Christ, is all uh, relying upon the Old Testament. When the genealogy of Jesus Christ is presented to us in the Gospel of Matthew, it automatically locks us in to the Old Testament subject matter. The genealogy makes no sense if we don't need the Old Testament. Those names mean nothing to us. Uh, When Matthew says this took place to fulfill scriptures. This took place to fulfill what was quoted by the prophet. None of those statements make any sense. None of them hold a, a square inch of validity in the balance of our argument for the Old Testament if we're saying that the Old Testament is expendable. But then they make the New Testament completely irrelevant because those statements now mean absolutely nothing. Uh, when Jesus comes in the Gospel of Mark, and he says the, the time is at hand, uh, repent and believe in the Gospel, let me read you the entirety of that passage. This is found in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus begins his ministry. The Gospel of Mark starts out with uh, the uh, prophet um, John the Baptist, and says this. Th- this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It says the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the Prophet. You can get no further than verse two before the Old Testament is cited in the Gospel of Mark, and this citation from the prophet Isaiah is a citation of the coming of John the Baptist. Not only does this come from Isaiah, it also comes from Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's how Mark introduces John the Baptist, by citing the Old Testament. Again, we're automatically linked to the Old Testament. You can, you can get no further than a verse and a half into the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest and most compact of all the Gospel accounts. You would think if Mark is going to the trouble of giving us a Cliff Notes version of the Gospel account, you know, compared to something like Matthew or Luke, um, that he would cut things that wouldn't matter as much. He would cut things that he could, he could say in a more concise way. Uh, he doesn't take that approach when it comes to the Old Testament. He automatically links us to it. He thought enough to leave it in there. And then Jesus says in the same uh, passage, the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, that uh, Jesus says this, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean that the time is fulfilled if we don't count or consider? what happened in the Old Testament. The only way that that phrase can make any sense is if we are to understand Jesus in light of understanding the Old Testament. The same thing happens again and again throughout the Scriptures, and I'm just talking about the Gospels right now. At the beginning of John's Gospel, when he introduces Jesus In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's an automatic callback to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, That situates Jesus all the way back to Genesis and saying that this Word um, is not a creature of God, it's not part of God's creation, but this Word is God. He was in the beginning. And it's pointing us back to that beginning uh, narrative that we have in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and following. So again, these gospel writers are linking us back to the Old Testament as quickly as they begin to to put the the pen to paper, the quill to parchment. Uh, they're calling us back to the Old Testament. They're trying to help us understand. You cannot treat the Old Testament as expendable because we are understanding Christ. In light of the Old Testament, that's the only way we can understand it. And that pattern continues all throughout the rest of the New Testament. Uh, One of the things that might be surprising to you is just how often the Old Testament is cited or at least alluded to throughout the entire Bible. Um, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast, especially when it comes to like wide margin bibles um, i've I've had several several videos on here talking about uh, how to highlight and underline your Bible I've talked about my uh, cross reference and highlighting system that I use uh, just one that I made up myself um, but I'm going to put on the screen here um, a page from Romans chapter ten. And from Romans chapter 10, I'm, I don't expect you to be able to read this if you're looking on the video, but where you see the green highlights, all of those are places where the Apostle Paul is citing from the Old Testament. And I have made a rule that whenever um, I'm going through the New Testament, I'm doing my highlights that anytime a, an Old Testament passage is quoted, I highlight it in green, and that gives me a visual marker to see where these writers are explicitly, directly interacting with a passage or set of passages from the Old Testament. And the beauty of this is the more you do it, you finish one book, let's say you finish Romans, you move on to another book, you rinse and repeat that pattern until you've worked your way and highlighted your way through the entire New Testament. And then whenever you go back and read those books after your highlighting has already been done, or you're just adding in you know, notes in your side margin or you're reading this Bible and you've got a journal uh, next to you that you're you know, just studying particular passages, uh, you now have a visual aid for the entire New Testament to see when, where, and how often the Old Testament is being cited. And it might surprise you just how much it is cited. I don't know what the math is. I'm sure you could Google search it. Uh, There's going to be some argument as to what is a direct quote and what is just an an allusion to the Old Testament. And so I'm just talking about very clear, essentially word-for-word quotes here. Um, but they're all over the place, and this is not just in the book of Romans. I mean, it is every New Testament book. Sure, there's going to be some that have more than others, but this pattern is established at the very front end of the Gospels, and it never goes away even when the genre changes. So you have the Gospels, and then you have more of the explicitly historical account, of the early church in the book of Acts, that continues to happen in there as well. Then you get to the New Testament epistles. You have Paul, you have James, you have Peter, you have John, uh, you have Jude. I mean, just the whole range of New Testament authors do this, and they are not ashamed to do it. And we might say it this way. The subject matter of the New Testament is argued to us by appealing to the Old Testament. Think about that. The way that the New Testament writers make their case is by leaning on the Old Testament. The way that Paul explains what Christianity is is by pointing us back to the Old Testament. Peter. John, all the rest. If they're doing that, it's completely out of the question uh, for us to suggest that the Old Testament is expendable in in any way. Uh, Because not only are we discrediting the Old Testament by saying that, uh, which is a grave sin to discredit God's Word, but we're now calling the New Testament writers liars or out of touch or primitive uh, because they're doing that. We're now saying that the way that they make their argument is not valid. So now not only do we have a problem with the Old Testament, now we have a problem with the New Testament. And hence we launch into the utter confusion of a postmodern society a postmodern society not only denies absolute truth which is an absolute denial if absolute truth doesn't exist that's an absolute claim so it's a self-defeating argument not only does that system do that not only does the culture of the society do that, not only do varieties of churches that have bought into this kind of worldview, this kind of philosophy, do that, but now we play the reinterpretation game. The reinterpretation game sounds something like this. It doesn't matter what the author intends because the content is timeless. It's able to be and manipulated and repurposed to suit our own needs. We can do that with the Old Testament, and as long as we can do that with the Old Testament, we could say it's valid, because now we can allegorize uh, certain historical accounts. We can say that they never happened in history. They just have a message for us. They teach us an ethic of some kind. Uh, There's no issue with how something depicts God. Uh, It could contradict itself between the Old and the New Testament. That's no problem, because after all, everybody's just trying to give their own spin on who God is. And when you read a passage, and when I read a passage, uh, there is no absolute truth that we're trying to arrive to by what the author intended when they wrote this, or authors, it has more to do with how I feel about it, what it motivates me to think about. So we use it as a launching point. We don't use it as the destination point. Uh, We just use what the text says as a way of moving on to our own ideas. It's a very postmodern approach. Uh, We don't care much what the original authors are trying to say to us. We only care uh, what we can um, kind of glean from what they're saying and then put our own spin on it. It's very much in line with what many denominations do today. Certainly many Lone Ranger, non-denominational megachurches do uh, it's a very, very dangerous precedent, but unfortunately, it's very popular today. But I just want to highlight that this mindset of thinking, if we say that about the Old Testament that is expendable, um, you have to say it about the New Testament too. It's, it's, a, it's an all or nothing. If you buy into the idea that the Old Testament is expendable, you have to buy into the idea that the New Testament is as well, because the New Testament unapologetically links itself to the Old Testament. Regardless of the book, this is how it works. Well, I think there is a difference, though, we have to be fair, between if somebody is saying the Old Testament is expendable, as in it doesn't really matter, versus... Somebody who says that the Old Testament is no longer binding to us. One argument you might hear somebody make, if, if you're talking to them and you try to argue for the importance of the Old Testament, um, they will most likely turn the tables on you and say, Oh, so you're saying it's okay for us to stone our children to death. Oh. You're saying it's okay for God to strike somebody down because of some seemingly mild sin. Oh, you're saying that we should still continue animal sacrifices. Uh, That's kind of how the argument goes. Uh, The problem is, what that argument is doing is it's interacting with two totally different ideas. Uh, they do have some overlap, but they are different ideas. Uh, one is saying the Old Testament is expendable, it doesn't matter. The other is saying the Old T- Testament is no longer binding. And to be fair, there there is a lot to say about clarity here, uh, because there are ways in which the Old Testament is no longer binding. We do not have animal sacrifices anymore. We are not under the theocratic system that Israel as a nation was under during the time of the Old Testament. Uh, We are not called and obligated to fulfill the same exact things that Israel as a nation was called to do, such as uh, going into the land of Canaan and putting all of those People to death and reestablishing the land, like we're not called to do those kind of things. And of course, you know Jesus says that uh, His kingdom is not of this world, and uh, it is not a flesh and blood endeavor. Uh, he shies Peter away from picking up the sword and you know promoting the kingdom by force and by violence. That is not what Christianity is, but. That does not negate the subject matter that we have in the Old Testament. Whether or not portions of the Old Testament are binding for us today does not make or break the validity of having and reading and understanding the Old Testament today. In fact, everything we interact with in the Old Testament is not explicitly written for you and I, but the same is true about the New Testament as well. We may feel like we're much closer to home with the subject matter of the New Testament, and that's probably because we associate ourselves, as modern people, with the word new. So you find the word new, and you automatically say, oh yeah, that's That's the one that correlates to me, because that's the newer of the two. But we're still 2,000 years divorced from the contemporary time of the New Testament. 2,000 years is a long time. We are at a distance from the New Testament, and so we shouldn't pretend um, like we're really close in time to the New Testament, and and the Old Testament is just way, way, way further back. Now, it is further back than the New Testament, uh, but we're not talking about the difference of uh, vastly removed from the Old and just a little bit removed from the New. Now, we're a lot removed from both of them, and that matters uh, because when we think about the flow from the Old to the New Testament, um, the, the time of Christ was the initial overlap of the two. In other words, if you were alive during the time of Christ, you were alive technically during the time of the New Testament and the Old Testament, Uh, just speaking in terms of timeline here. And so you would automatically think, if that were you, um, that there's no great divorce between the two. Uh, You're living in the midst of the two, of the transition. And so you wouldn't associate yourself with the new and far removed from the old. Um, They're both uh, organically connected to each other in that way, and you experience that because you're alive as a contemporary. So we think about it that way, it makes even less sense uh, that we would consider the two at odds with each other. The the question really would migrate to what is still binding in the Old Testament uh, versus the New, now that we have the New. And I think the Bible is is clear about that. I think when we think about the threefold use of God's law, which is really the summary of the entire Old Testament, um, there's a way that we can uh, distinguish it. Um, I, I said the threefold use. That that was a, a, something that John Calvin talks about as the three different ways to use God's law, but let me actually... Uh, walk back my statement, because I didn't mean to say the threefold use, but I meant to say the three different categories of God's laws. So you would have the moral, the ceremonial, and the judicial. Um, Let's work those in reverse order. The judicial refers to that theocracy, that um, Israel and Yahweh, their God. So Israel has a set of Commands given to them that applied to Israel as a nation state, as a people group. Um, it functions as the way they are to build their society, and it has uh, certain laws tied to it um, that terminated with the termination of that system. And especially because Jesus comes and fulfills those as the true Israel, as the true Son of God. We move to the ceremonial. The ceremonial in terms of the cleansing rites, uh, the dietary restrictions, um, the uh, methods of purification that you see in the Old Testament that always correlate to the animal sacrifices, those have also been fulfilled and are no longer binding because. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb that takes away our sins. Uh, he is the one final sacrifice, according to the book of Hebrews. Uh, he is the one that has been the propitiation for our sins, and so that we don't need any more sacrifices. We don't need any more blood shed. We don't need any more sprinkling. We don't need any more purification methods, because Jesus fulfills all of that, and stands in the gap for us as our great high priest at the right hand of God. So the judicial and the ceremonial are no longer binding. But that leaves us to the moral law of God. The moral law of God is different because it transcends the temporary nature Of the ceremonial and the judicial. Now, the ceremonial and the judicial, if you were to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if you were to read those, you would see that the judicial and the ceremonial laws are derived from the moral law of God. But the way that we could summarize the moral law of God is by looking to the initial way that God communicated his law to his people, and that is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a great place to go to to see where God's moral law is summarized for us. And in fact, you'll see some callbacks in the moral law, in the Ten Commandments, that go before uh, Exodus chapter 20. They go back to creation itself. Uh, the principle of keeping the Sabbath holy, for example, uh, the sin of murder when Cain kills his brother Abel. How do we know that's wrong? Because that's a uh, transgression of God's moral law. It's not that it was no. It's not that it wasn't in effect yet until you got to Exodus twenty, and certainly today it's not as if it's not in effect anymore. The moral law of God can further be summarized, not only by the Ten Commandments but by breaking up the Ten Commandments into two tables. Laws pertaining to God and laws pertaining to our neighbor. And of course, if you read not only the Old Testament, but the words of Christ in the New Testament, you find that perfect summary of the moral law, the summary of the summary, in two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great commandments, and they summarize every commandment in the Old Testament. If you never break those, you'll never break any of the other commandments that you come across. That's what I mean by saying that they're all derived from that. So those are still, in effect, those are no less relevant for us today than they are, or than they were in the Old Testament. I think it's a little ironic, uh, because many Christians will say that God today is no longer concerned with law-keeping for his people, um, which suggests that at one point God was legalistic or something, and... You don't even find that in the Old Testament. There's plenty of grace in the Old Testament. Uh, The sacrifices point to the fact that these are sins worthy of death, and God chose not to put the Israelites to death. He gave them a way of sacrifice and and cleansing instead, as they waited for the one true Messiah who would actually take away their sins. Plenty of grace in, in the Old Testament. But people will say... God is not concerned with law-keeping today. He cares about love. He wants us to have love for him and love for our neighbor. Love God, love people. There's the summary that you find by many people in the church today, and they promote that as if that's a new concept. But it's not a new concept. It's the summary of the law of God. It's the summary of what the Old Testament teaches in terms of how God's people were to live. And the New Testament writers pick right up on that, and they bring it into the New Testament subject matter. We are to love God and love our neighbor. It is all over the place in the New Testament. I say that not to give people a hard time, but just to emphasize that even what we talk about as a kind of summary way of living as Christians, love God, love people, even that basic statement, we had to borrow from the Old Testament. We're still not away from the Old Testament. We still have not unhitched ourselves from the Old Testament. We're going to have to reinvent the wheel entirely if we want to do that. And then we'll have no message left to give to the world. Uh, we won't even be able to say things like, uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We wouldn't be able to do that because we're borrowing it from the Old Testament. So, is the Old Testament expendable? Absolutely not. These are just some general things that I want you to think about because if we put put it in front of ourselves enough of the importance of the Old Testament, how much it's used in the New Testament, how much we depend upon it for clarity, how much we borrow from it when talking about the way we are to live as Christians, we will realize that we need it. And hopefully it motivates you to dig into it, because you're suddenly not reading something that is foreign to your Christian experience, but you're reading something that sets the stage for your Christian experience, something that introduces the promise of all promises. Something that gears us up for what is to come, something that sheds light on the great mystery of God. It's as if the switch is turned on in Genesis 1 and it's slowly getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until finally we've reached the book of Revelation where we have the final word from God before the return of Christ. So, yes, you could rewind redemptive history, you could go back to the Old Testament, you could find some things that aren't as clear, you could find some things that are not elaborated on as much, but they contain the glory of what we find in the New Testament, and for that reason, they are no less valid. They are not expendable. Augustine said it best that the new is in the old concealed and the Old is in the New revealed. There's that <clears throat> organic connection between the two. And I hope that this does motivate you to interact with the Old Testament, uh, because you'll find that you're in good company when you're reading. You'll find that you're reading the very scriptures that Jesus preached from, that the apostles were utilizing when they were writing their New Testament books, and suddenly it all starts to make sense in one grand story that God is telling, that God is orchestrating, and that ultimately God is fulfilling in Christ. Well, thanks for being with me on this episode. I hope it was enlightening. I hope that it was helpful. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me, share your feedback. If you have any particular questions about the Old Testament, I'd love to cover some stuff on this in a future episode. This is just scratching the surface, but I want to have this little conversation I do hope that it was beneficial for you. Well, I'll see you all in another episode real soon, but until then, take care.